The new mayors and county commissioners elected in last month's municipal elections were sworn in on Sunday, and that included the newly elected Taipei Mayor Jiang Wan-an, the great-grandson of late President Jiang Kai-shek. Jiang's deputy, KMT lawmaker Lin Yihua, was conspicuously absent. Her absence, according to speculation, is because if she assumes office before February 1st, it will trigger a by-election to fill her seat in the legislative yuan. And that's something the KMT wants to avoid. The auditorium was filled with the sounds of crying. The 18-month-old son of mayor-elect Zhang Wanan suddenly burst into tears. Zhang's wife wasn't able to comfort him and she had to take him outside and miss her husband's inauguration ceremony. Of course, it's a pity, but I knew they were actually backstage and watching the whole process through a live TV broadcast. My kid was lying in front of the TV with his eyes glued to the screen, calling out daddy. Zhang today received the official mayoral seal from the outgoing Taipei mayor, Ke Wenzhe. He's only just taken office and already he's got a political hot potato to deal with. The Taipei Dome is an issue that's of enormous concern to our citizens. I promise that I will do my utmost to complete it in one year. I was just telling him, I said that if Chen Shizhong had been elected, the central government would have approved the dome. Now that you've been elected, how do you think the central government will deal with the Taipei Dome? Lin Yihua, the KMT lawmaker who was expected to take over as deputy mayor, did not show up today. If she waits until February to take the post, the KMT can legally avoid having a by-election to fill her vacated seat in the legislature. There's even been a backlash against this within the KMT itself. I just told Jiang Wan'an, this is your number one problem. It's because she's still got a lot of major draft bills on her hands that need to be dealt with in the legislature, as well as the ongoing review of the general budget. So the services she must fulfill for her constituency need to be completed and then handed properly to someone else. As Kerr was leaving Taipei City Hall, there were loud calls from enthusiastic supporters, asking him to run for president in 2024. <laughs> Now that his eight years of administration as Taipei mayor has come to an end, Kerr will once again put on his scrubs and return to National Taiwan University Hospital. When asked about his plans for the 2024 presidential bid, Kerr said he would face the situation calmly and carry on with the many things he planned to do in the future. Also sworn in was newly elected Shinju Mayor Ann Gao, who has been listed as a suspect for embezzling public funds and making fraudulent deductions from the payrolls of her legislative assistants. Now that she's not a legislator anymore, she no longer enjoys immunity granted to lawmakers. A lawyer thinks the prosecutor's next move will be to try to detain her. Gao said she would bravely face the case. If they go ahead with a second round of questioning, she will no longer have legislative immunity and the prosecutors will have more flexibility to detain her and can enforce this. According to past practice, if a county or city councillor is involved in fraudulently appropriating their staff's pay 
or there is a risk of collusion or destruction of evidence, the usual approach from the prosecution side is to detain the person. 勇敢地去面對,然後對於任何的檢調司法的程序,我們都絕對尊重權力配合。I will bravely face it. We absolutely respect and will fully cooperate with any investigation and judicial procedures. For Shinju City, I will not waste a minute or a second. And I will do my best to work for the Shinju City administration. Right after her inauguration, Gao went to the city council to congratulate Xu Xiu-rei on his re-election as council speaker. Gao also promised that after taking office, she will tackle the city's traffic problems, the delay in sewage construction, as well as review of budgets for public works, so that citizens of the Windy City will get a sense of renewal under her administration. Besides mayors and commissioners, newly elected city councillors across the nation were also sworn in Sunday. One of them was KMT Taipei City Councillor Wang Hongwei, who is also her party's candidate in an upcoming legislative by-election. Her DPP opponent, Enoch Wu, who happened to be on a visit to the city council's DPP caucus, made a show of calling on Wang to serve her full term as councillor and not turn her back on the people who voted for her. Singing the national anthem with a city councillor's corsage pinned on her lapel, Wang Hongwei stood out conspicuously at the councillor's swearing-in ceremony Sunday morning, despite having thrown her hat in the ring for a legislative by-election in Taipei. Her opponent, the DPP's Enoch Wool, happened to be on a visit to his party's caucus at the city council. He said he would do his best to make sure Wang serves her term as councillor. Of course, we congratulate Councillor Wang Hongwei on her re-election with such a high number of votes. We will try our utmost to keep her in the Taipei City Council. This is something she owes every person who voted for her. Excuse me, can I go to the bathroom? Excuse me, thank you. Let's all get sworn in. Wang didn't respond to the gauntlet Wu threw down at her feet, knowing full well that she'd be labelled a runaway councillor if she's elected legislator in the by-election. Wu, for his part, sees the opportunity to criticise Wang's proposal to postpone the decommissioning of nuclear power plants number two and number three in New Taipei. Mayor Ho has insisted that there wouldn't be any nuclear waste in New Taipei City. When a candidate proposes a policy or presents her platform, you don't do it like you're coming up with a Christmas wish list. According to a survey conducted by Wool's camp, he currently has 38% support rate, trailing behind Wang's 43%. There are just two more weeks to go, and yes, I'm lagging behind in the polls. This is why I've come to Taipei City Council today to ask for the support of DPP councillors so people will go out and vote. As the clock ticks down in the final two weeks, Wu is pulling out all the stops as he makes the rounds in his district. He later went to a market in Dajie, accompanied by legislator Gao Jiayu, who he hopes would become a fellow colleague at the end of the by-election. The amount of waste in the ocean is growing every year, and there is no easy solution to this monumental problem. Many sea-loving people in Taiwan are now investing their time and energy to reduce marine waste. One group of pioneering women has developed a remote-control robot that picks up garbage in harbors. 
Elsewhere, a group of divers makes regular trips out to sea to manually retrieve waste. However, these solutions require a great investment of both time and money. Environmentalists hope to tackle the problem at the source through paid recycling and other incentives to stem the flow of waste into the sea. Let's hear what they have to say in our Sunday special report. A truck equipped with a large crane sits on the dock at Geelong's Badozi Fishing Harbour, carrying an ocean cleanup robot on its bed. Chia Chan, founder of Ocean Cleanup Initiative Azure Alliance, co-founded the company with the vision of restoring the ocean to its natural blue splendor. Since 2017, she and her partners have been behind a number of projects toward this aim, beginning with the development of their ocean cleaning robot, Jandou. Our motivation in the beginning was simple. We found out that many of our harbors weren't being cleaned by anyone, and there weren't tools available for doing such cleanups. We thought, this is a dirty and difficult job, and nobody's doing it, so why don't we let a robot do the work? The first time we saw the robot collect waste, we thought, wow, this thing really can pick up garbage. It was then that we realized that this is a feasible solution and that it was worth pressing forward. The team's first robot could only be used along the shore and had to be manually operated by a user. The second generation Danto is remotely controlled and can find garbage on its own. Because Jando floats on the water's surface, control of the robot is more difficult. Marine wastes floating along with the ebbs and flows of the sea is collected by the robot's conveyor belt. Look at this little boat collecting waste. How much can it collect? I want to thank these young people for putting so much effort into developing this. Marine waste that otherwise would be impossible to retrieve can be retrieved with this little boat. However, all of the energy and money they put into this, is it comparable to what they get out of it? The Fishers Association director feels the robot is not a cost-effective solution. Jando costs 4.5 million NT to build, and the team currently operates three such boats with corporate sponsorship. The three boats operate in rotation at six harbors throughout northern and central Taiwan. We can collect 100 kilograms in one trip. If we send a boat out eight times in a day, we can bring back about 800 kilograms of garbage. We hope to set a record of taking one ton of waste out of the sea in a single day. Every time the boat is dispatched, the crane truck must be hired to bring it to the harbor. This makes collecting marine waste an expensive endeavor. Some estimates put the total amount of plastic waste in the sea at 150 million tons. If nothing is done, that number could double by 2030. From the air, the sky and sea on this day are grey, as if covered in a layer of ash. It's a sight to behold, but the waste scattered across the breakwater detracts from the sea's beauty. 
This other team, composed of certified divers, has another approach to cleaning up the seas. Theirs is a much more difficult operation, and their efforts put New Taipei and Geelong ahead of the rest of the country. They work with 20 scuba diving businesses, combining efforts to clean up the coastal waters and giving their all for the sea. Last year, we took six tons of garbage out of the water, but when the northeasterly monsoons blow in, or typhoons, all that garbage comes floating back. It happens every year without fail. When garbage piles up on the streets, people will pick that up. But when it comes to garbage on the seafloor, we have to rely on divers to go down there and bring it up. Roughly a dozen divers head out to sea to collect waste. The task may appear to be a simple one, but when it takes them to the open sea, the difficulty is doubled. The ocean's unpredictable currents, the water pressure below the surface, and the physical strength of the divers are all factors. Today, they are working in waters behind the National Taiwan Ocean University in Geelong. The geography and currents here act like a whirlpool that collects waste. In 2021 alone, divers retrieved six tons of plastic bottles from these waters. The first time we went down, we found a garbage patch the size of several soccer fields, roughly 50 to 60 centimeters thick. Seeing such a thick patch of plastic bottles floating in the sea, I was nearly driven to tears. After a 40-minute dive, the divers resurface one after the other. The most interesting thing we found today was a Nokia cell phone. This phone must be over 15 years old. Look at this thing. If we didn't bring it up with us, it would just float in the ocean forever. The cleanup never ends. What we are doing now is like what teachers teach students in school, to clear rubbish no matter who threw it away. But cleaning doesn't get to the root of the problem. What we need to do now is to manage these waste materials at their source. The most difficult type of marine waste to recover from the seabed is fishing nets. Nets can stretch more than 100 meters and weigh several hundred pounds, making them very difficult and dangerous to handle. Out at sea, we use large 30-liter water cans. We attach three or four of them to the net and then empty them out so that they're filled with air. This causes them to float to the surface. With the cans floating on the surface, we try to pull the net up onto the boat. But if we can't do that, we just drag it to shore with the boat. At the docks, we can use the crane to pull it out of the water. According to United Nations statistics, environmental and human factors cause roughly 640,000 tons of fishing nets to enter the sea each year, accounting for 10% of all marine waste. Most of those nets are made from nylon, polyethylene, or some other non-biodegradable material. As you can imagine, a 100-meter-long fishing net is like a dead-end wall. Fish get stuck in it, and then it's impossible for them to free themselves. In February 2022, a leatherback turtle appeared on a beach in New Taipei. This was the first time a living leatherback was found stranded on a beach in Taiwan, but it had been hurt badly after getting caught in a fishing net. 
The turtle was rushed to National Taiwan Ocean University for treatment, but it died the following day. An autopsy found pieces of burlap and plastic in the turtle's stomach. It was caught up in the net for a while, roughly a week. Its original wounds from the net kept getting reinfected. This nylon won't break down in the water. If you throw it into the sea, it will damage the ecosystem on the seabed. The coral down there gets covered up, which kills it. At the largest distribution center for fishes in northern Taiwan, Dilan's Badozi Fishing Harbor, a temporary drop-off point for discarded nets was set up. The waste nets here are already piled high. We cleared up about two-thirds of it at the start of the year, but within two or three months, it started to fill up again. We send the nets for recycling, but the recycling companies prefer the bottom gill nets and flow gill nets because their composition is comparatively simple. Central and local governments hope to tackle the issue at the source to prevent more waste nets from entering the ocean. In 2021, they raised the rate paid for recycled fishing nets from 10 NT per kilogram to 15, hoping to create more incentive for recycling nets. Counties and municipalities all put aside space to store the nets. However, concerns have been raised over where the money for handling the recycled nets should come from. Regarding the funding gap, let's take last year as an example when we processed about 40 tons of recycled nets. Recycling 40 tons of nets costs us about 560,000 NT, which we applied to the central government for. So far this year, we've already had much, much more than 40 tons of nets get brought in. At the start of the year alone, we recycled 10 tons, and there was another 6 tons that couldn't be recycled. What you see in front of you right here is more than 100 tons. We need to find funding to process this 100-odd tons of nets. Could we assist the industry by producing the fishing nets? If the nets still have value after they become waste, then fishers will be willing to bring them back into shore to resell. They won't think of them as taking up space on the boat or as a waste of fuel to bring them in. They don't want to spend their own money to bring in nets. Given this situation, what if private industry could deal with the nets? Then we wouldn't need to spend government money, tax money, on it. Finding a solution to mounting marine waste is a global problem. Taiwanese environmentalists and officials hope they can tackle the problem at the source by encouraging the recycling of wasted fishing gear rather than discarding it at sea. They hope that through their efforts, they can protect marine life and ensure the sustainability of the fisheries. Well, there was no white Christmas in Taiwan on Sunday, but it certainly felt like it, with temperatures dipping to as low as 3.3 degrees in the central county of Nanto. Amid radiative cooling, the Central Weather Bureau issued cold weather warnings for 19 counties and cities. On Monday, the cold snap is expected to relent as temperatures begin to rise. The lows in northern Taiwan are expected to average 10 degrees, with daytime temperatures to be between 15 and 18 degrees. In central and southern Taiwan, daytime temperatures could reach 20 to 22 degrees. Let's hear from the CWB. By tomorrow and the day after tomorrow, the high-pressure system will gradually move out to sea. 
So the northeasterly winds near Taiwan will also weaken accordingly. Starting tomorrow, this wave of cold air will gradually weaken and the low temperatures in the daytime and early morning will also gradually rise day by day. This trend will remain for the entire week. Although the northeast monsoon will pick up strength on Wednesday, temperatures will not be as cold as the two recent cold snaps and there will be more moisture in the air. Taiwan's windward areas, including Greater Taipei, Geelong and the north coast, along with the eastern half of the island, will return to cloudy weather with brief showers. The rainy weather is likely to continue until New Year's Day.